Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome once again to another episode of Strange Planet. A bit of a, a departure on uh, the podcast tonight, and uh, we're going to talk true crime, something I don't do a lot of, but it's it's long overdue. It's not by accident that true crime is like the number one genre when it comes to books. And Rebecca Pittman is a best-selling author in a number of uh, genres, including true crime. And she's going to discuss a murder case currently making uh, headlines. In fact, it's the subject of a, uh, a miniseries starring Renee Zellweger. And uh, the topic of her new book on the serial killer Pam Hupp. Rebecca Pittman is, as I say, a best-selling author in several genres. Her popular history and haunting series of books have been spotlighted on various TV, radio, and podcast forms. She's a former TV talk show host, a muralist, an escape room owner, a game creator, a runway model who finds mysteries irresistible. And uh, she is the author of Countdown to Murder, Pam Hupp, Death Insured, uh, The History and Haunting of the Stanley Hotel, the History and Haunting of the Myrtles Plantation, The History and Haunting of Lemp Mansion, uh, Lizzie Borden, The History and Haunting of Salem, The Witch Trials and Beyond, and also of the Palace of Versailles. Rebecca, welcome. How are you? Well, after that introduction, my head's not going to fit through the door, but I'm fine. Thank you. Well, you've done all those things. You've accomplished a lot, and it's all your, that's uh, an escape room owner, and those are all the rage now, aren't they? They are incredibly popular. They're fun to create, but they're very tricky to create because you have to get everything to fit under an hour. So, but I, I, I enjoy anything that's puzzles and clues. Well, and uh, true crime often is. I, as, a, as a kid growing up, I was a, a huge fan. I absolutely loved uh, Columbo with Peter Falk, one yes. of my favorite, uh, my favorite programs. Uh, so let's talk about... The, uh, the murder of uh, Betsy Faria, uh, this was back in uh, 2011 in Missouri. And, you know, it's funny because on the surface, um, well, well, we'll get into the details here, but uh, it, 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 um, it almost seemed like, you know, an open and shut case, not against the husband, Russ Faria, but the, 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 uh, the person who was ultimately, you know, charged with the crime. But we'll get into all of that and what went wrong with the... Uh, the, uh, the the court, uh, the defense, and so forth. First of all, let's talk about uh, serial killers. And, and it's so rare for a serial killer, and, and um, uh, a Pam Hupp certainly qualifies as a serial killer, but it's so rare for women to be serial killers, isn't it? They only fall in about 7% of the serial killer population. It is pretty rare. Right. So... Let's let's go through the uh, the, the details uh, of the uh, Betsy Faria murder. You know, it's pretty heinous. Obviously, she was stabbed, and and but just kind of, I guess, give us the timeline of what happened. Uh, well, basically, uh, Pam Hupp was your ordinary, everyday. I don't want to say housewife, but that is what they kept calling her. So don't shoot the messenger. Um, but she was just this unassuming person with an incredible personality. She's one of those people that dominated the conversation. 
bigger than life. So she met Betsy Faria while they were both insurance agents. And that was the start of, a, of an office friendship. I, it didn't really go much beyond that. Finally, Betsy quit, went her way. Pam went her way. Uh, Betsy opened up a DJ service and ended up DJing for Pam's daughter when she got married. But they didn't hook up again until Pam found out Betsy had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And suddenly Pam is back in her life every day. I mean, she's walking with her for her exercise. She's going with her to chemo. It was, it was like suddenly this woman was everywhere. And at one point, Betsy looked like she beat it. And they were scheduling a celebration cruise for all her friends and family, which coincidentally Pam was not invited to. By then, Betsy was getting a little tired of her. Right before the cruise, they found out not only was the cancer back, it had spread to her liver. They went on the cruise anyway. And this is November of 2011. When they got back, Pam was in it even more than before. She insisted on taking her to every chemo treatment, even edging out Betsy's father who wanted to be there. And very often Betsy would stay at her mother's house if she had a chemo treatment the next day because her mother lived closer to where the hospital was. So on the day that Betsy died, a lot of interesting things were going on. Um, Pam was supposed to take her to her chemo treatment at two o'clock. And she called her to tell her, I'm, I'm gonna come get you. And Betsy says, you know what? My old friend is in town. She used to babysit me. She's staying with mom and I tonight. She's gonna take me. And Pam later said she didn't get that text but she did. When they looked at her phone records, she actually texted back, bummer. But she claimed she didn't get that. She went ahead and showed up at the mother's house anyway, even though she was told don't come, that they wanted some one-on-one -on -one time. And the mother said they already left. They moved her appointment up. And undaunted, Pam went over to the chemo and butt in on him, and, and Betsy was really surprised to see her. She couldn't have made it more clear I don't want to see you today. So Pam also made sure that she goes, tell you what I'm going to do, because Betsy was going to go out to dinner with Bobby as well. I will pick you up and drive you home tonight, which is about 30 minutes. Betsy's home from her mom's. And she goes, well, Russ is already her husband is picking me up. He's only going to be five minutes from here. She goes, no, 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 I want to do it. So when Russ checked with Betsy, she goes, Pam's bringing me home. He goes, are you sure? She goes, yeah, because he was having his Tuesday night game night with his friends every Tuesday like clockwork. And Pam knew that, that he wasn't going to be home until after nine. She drove Betsy home. When they pulled into the driveway, she hurried and got on her cell phone, Pam did, and called her husband. And to let this is the beginning of her alibi timeline. Mm -hmm. Here, Betsy, say Merry Christmas to Mark. So we know that Betsy's alive at 704. That's the whole idea. See, she was alive when I dropped her off. Right. At that point, Pam's story changed three times. First, when she, the detectives asked her the next morning, did you go in? No, I didn't go in at all. You didn't? Mm -mm. I didn't like it. The lights were off. It looked spooky. I didn't go in. Then the next, in the next sentence, you know what? I did go in. And I turned on the foyer light. Oh, oh, and I did go in and turn on the living room light. 
she's putting herself in every place that her DNA may have shown up. Mm. And they said, is that it? You know what? She did take me to the master bedroom and show me a Christmas present Russ got. So she's now literally doing the grand tour of the house when a few minutes ago she didn't go in. So Russ comes home from game night at around 9.30, 9.37, walks in and, um, sorry, I had a tag there. He walks in and finds his wife lying on the floor with a knife sticking out of her neck. There is blood everywhere. One of her wrists was cut clear to the bone. And he saw that, freaked, and called 911 and told them his wife had committed suicide. And the reason he jumped to that was she had tried once before, and he thought it might be the bad news about the chemo coming back. Right. She was wearing dark clothing, and in the shock and everything, he just took in the knife and the slit wrists. And so the police show up. They take one look at her and go, this is not a suicide. In the long run, she ended up having 56 stab wounds. Wow. Most, most of them post-mortem. Um, it was to look like overkill. We believe, and when I say we, um, I was lucky enough to work with the detectives a little bit on the case. Um, and they were really kind to give me a lot of information for the book. So we talked a lot and um, we believe the first attack was the knife through the neck. It would have literally severed her windpipe and you, that's over. I mean, in two minutes, that's you're a goner at that point. There were some other wounds, um, but most of them were post-mortem. Betsy had laid down on the couch while Pam was there. We think that Pam pulled a blanket over her like she's comforting her before she leaves and whips out the kitchen knife that was from Betsy's kitchen and thrusts it through her neck. The, the blood patterns on the carpet and the couch back that up. And uh, Betsy's cell phone was found flung to the side like she literally bolted from the couch. And Pam had her down on the floor and it was pretty much over. Wow. And so the police questioned uh, Russ, obviously, uh, after he called 911 and they arrived on the scene. And then he was arrested for, for his wife Betsy's murder, despite the fact he had a pretty ironclad alibi. I mean, he was, was he watching movies or game night over at his uh, friends in, uh, in St. Louis, in a suburb of St. Louis? They, yeah. all, they all testified he was with them. Um, I think he stopped at an Arby's on the way home for, for dinner. Uh, so he had a, a receipt. Uh, I think there was some video surveillance uh, uh, cameras that backed up his alibi, the different places he stopped before he got home. I mean, why was, why was uh, the, the murder put on, on Russ? Well, Pam wasn't done yet. Uh, she staged the scene. After, while Betsy's laying there, she got Russ's slippers, bedroom slippers, dipped them in Betsy's blood to make it look like he was wearing the slippers when he killed her. And then she put them in his master bedroom closet. She swiped the light switch with blood, Betsy's blood, that goes into that closet. Um, but it was mainly the next morning when the detective showed up that she buried him. She started making up all these stories, how he had put a pillow over Betsy's face the weekend before and said, this is what it's gonna feel like when you die, that she had 
found tainted Gatorade when she went to play tennis. She buried him. And they thought they had their guy. They grilled him for 36 hours, did a fake polygraph test, which is legal. You're supposed to let his attorney know you're doing it. But they basically brought him back in the room and said, you did it. And he's just going, no, I didn't. And then they let him know how many times she's been stabbed and he just crumbled. I mean, he just lost it because he had no idea. He hadn't seen all the wounds. She was at the coroner's by now and they were counting them all. So they basically felt they had their man. They didn't look anywhere else. It was supposed to be a crime of passion. Um, supposedly, now here's the other, here's the nefarious thing. It's, I realize that that is too, but four days before Betsy's murder, Pam uh, and Betsy went to a library to have a librarian witness Betsy's change of beneficiary form where she took Russ off of her $150,000 life insurance form and put Pam's name on it. I'm pretty convinced there's something else behind that form and I'm, I'm not letting go of it. And I'm sure the detectives are tired of hearing me talk about it, but I don't think that was Betsy with her. I think she had someone else. I don't think Betsy knew they'd both been in life insurance. It was so easy for Pam to fill out a form. She'd already been fired twice from two jobs for forgery. Mm -hmm. So they think, she put the idea out. Maybe Russ found out she took him off her insurance form and he killed her. I mean, she buried the guy. Wow. Any other evidence that the, the, um, prosecutors, I don't know, uh, tampered with evidence, uh, anything like that? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? They actually perjured them, themselves on the trial at the trial and said that they found evidence of a cleanup in the kitchen, like he'd cleaned up blood. They said they'd gone in with the luminol test and what they call a blue star test and said that they had photos to prove it. But the camera malfunctioned right at that point, And the six photos came out black. During the second trial, it came out. They lied. The photos did come out. They didn't show anything. There was even grit still on the kitchen floor and dog biscuits. Yet they said that he cleaned the floor up and other things. And they're in trouble too. Uh, Pam's trial is still to come up for the murder of Betsy. And some of these detectives are not off the hook. And and why did they do that? Because they, they, they were there was pressure to... to as there often is, you know, let's, let's nail this on somebody and let's do it quickly. And he was the obvious choice. Uh, or was there some other motive that maybe we're not aware of? No, I think at that point they were in so deep that they had their guy as far as they were concerned. And they just wanted to make sure that he went to prison and that they were vindicated for saying, look how good we did. We got this guy right out of the gate. And at that point, they really didn't think Pam was lying. She was their all-star. I mean, she kept coming to them with new stuff, and they ate it up. I mean, they were buddies. And so it's it's just when you look at the whole thing, it is, it's incredible that it went this far and that the prosecuting attorney and these detectives 
literally didn't care what happened to this man as long as they got that case in their pocket. And he served three, almost three and a half years for something he didn't do. Did Russ's attorneys try to put, um, put Pam Hupp on the stand? They, she, she was put on the stand in the first trial. There were two trials for us. And the prosecuting attorney was like best friends with the judge. They'd known each other in high school and they ruled she could not talk about the insurance money, which would have been a very powerful, reasonable doubt that Russ did this. It would be like, hey, there's another person that benefited $150,000 from this woman's death. She was the last person to see her. There's someone else to look at here, folks. And the judge shut down every attempt that uh, Joel Schwartz, Russ's attorney, tried to make to bring in that insurance information. They finally made the jury leave the room. It's called an offer of proof. He got to ask her a few questions then, but the jury never heard it. If they had, I think there would have been enough reasonable doubt that he wouldn't have gone to prison. Um, so his defense attorney, Schwartz, obviously believed in his client's innocence and kept fighting and uh, eventually, um, I guess, you know, got a new trial, right? He did. Um, and it's funny because Pam, who couldn't shut up, is the reason Russ got another trial. If she'd shut up, I think he would have still been in prison. But um, the, the daughters of Betsy Faria, who were 17 and 21 when their mother died, sued Pam for the insurance money because it was supposed to go to them. And, Betsy, and Pam even said, Betsy said, if you'll be the you know, be a beneficiary, make sure they get money as they grow up, need a car, get married. And Pam goes, I'll do that. But as soon as Russ went to prison, Pam said, nope, not doing that. I'm keeping it. So the girls um, filed a civil suit. And during the deposition for that, where the, their attorney sat Pam down for a deposition, she just blatantly came right out and said, it was a revocable trust and I revoked it. I'm keeping the money. They immediately got on the phone to Joel Schwartz, Russ's attorney, and said, this might interest you. And he went, thank you, because here was something new, that this woman kept the money that was supposed to go to the daughters. He went to a different judge, Judge Omar. He looked it over and said there was enough here for another trial. If Pam had just shut up, and, and she ended up winning the civil trial, the judge ruled in her favor because all the paperwork was in order. Uh -huh. And if she just let it go, but the second trial, they found Russ innocent. They acquitted him. They let him go. And Joel Schwartz let it be known he was coming after Pam. I mean, he made no secret of it. All right, Rebecca, we're going to take a time out. Uh, when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll find out uh, what Pam Hupp does once she realizes she's in the, uh, she's in the crosshairs. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Truth will set you free, free, free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
Rebecca F. Pittman is with us, best-selling author, and uh, we're talking true crime. Countdown to Murder, Pam Hupp, Death Insured is uh, the book. And so after Russ's release, he's acquitted, and now Pam Hupp, the actual killer, realizes she's in the crosshairs. Uh, now, really, she goes on a little bit of her killing spree, right? It, yeah. And even now today, I, it is mind boggling to me that she thought this up and it is so heinous. Yeah. She decided that she had to somehow get Russ put back in prison and take the heat off of herself. So she, well, right before his second trial, the detectives who should have not been giving her advice, they're detectives said, look, his second, so this is leading up to the second trial. They said, it's not going to look good if that money for the girls isn't in your account. It's just not going to look good. Is the money there? Oh, uh-huh. Well, it wasn't. She'd already spent it on a house that she flipped. And they mm -hmm. said, well, just make sure that that money's in there before that second trial. And it was supposed to be 100000 of the one fifty. Suddenly her mother plunges from the third story balcony at her senior citizen living facility and Pam comes into $100,000 of her mother's life insurance money. And she put it in her bank four days before that trial started. I mean, I, she had to be sweating bullets, but her mother was, they found had eight times the amount of Ambien in her system that she should have had she actually spent the night with Pam the night before and Pam brought her home. And this was at five o'clock, which I find very interesting because these nursing homes run a very strict dinner time hour. It's, it's all regimented. Pam knew all the routine. Five o'clock was when dinner started. And that's when she brought her mother home. It was also Halloween Eve. And this particular facility did a lot of fun things for the residents, have parties and holiday stuff. So she, she knew everybody was going to be down there in the dining hall. I believe that it was at that time, her mother's now drugged to the gills and probably slumped on a couch, that Pam went, opened the balcony door and kicked out four, well, she dented six of the spindles of the balcony. They're just little hollow one-inch white spindles. Two of them went all the way out and she brought her mom over to the balcony and we believe she just pushed her over. Uh, one of the spindles was found beneath um, her body and the other one laying nearby. It was raining that night. And I don't know if that was part of what played into her plan, knowing nobody'd be strolling around outside and nobody would have heard her kicking out those spindles because they were all down for dinner. So Pam came down to the reception desk and said, my mom's not coming down for dinner. You know what? She may not be down for breakfast either. If lunch. you haven't seen her <laughs> by lunch, go check on her. And a housekeeper came at two o'clock to check on her. Water was running and Pam tried to make it look like the mom was watering the plants and stumbled and fell over. Even though it's October, the pictures of the crime scene show all the plants are dirt. <laughs> There's nothing there. There's a pitcher laying on its side. 
setting the scene for this. And it's supposed to look like she went out to water them and left the water running and never came back because she fell over the balcony. So the poor housekeeper looked over the balcony and saw her lying there. The thing that ripped me apart was the coroner's report that shows she did not die until the next day. Oh, dear. She laid there all night in the rain and because of her liver temperature and so forth, they could tell roughly when she died. She laid there all night and into the morning. That's your mother. Oh. So that was the that was that was that step. Then when they let Russ out and interrupt me if you want, I'll I'll keep going if you don't. <laughs> please, please keep going. Yes. Okay. Um so basically she's thinking, how do I get the heat off of me and keep it on Russ? So she came up with this idea and drove into a trailer park and was trolling for a victim. So she saw this young woman leaning against her little balcony out in front of her trailer, watching her dog. Pam pulled up to the end of the driveway, rolls the window down, says, hey, do you, do you babysit? And this lady's very streetwise, and she's going, a stranger's going to drive around and pick a stranger to babysit. She goes, no. So she walks kind of down the driveway and Pam says, well, that's okay. Listen, I'm a producer for Dateline and I'll pay you a thousand dollars to come with me and do a soundbite for a fake 911 call. That's it. Easy peasy. It's cash. Don't have to claim it on your taxes. Only take you a few minutes. If you want to come with me right now, we're set up right here down the road. We rented a house and the lady's going, okay, something's wrong here. Why would you be just picking up anybody? And she go and she was barefoot. She goes, um, okay, I've got to put my dog in. Give me a minute. So Carol went into the house, but she slipped two knives into her hoodie. She put one into the hoodie pouch and one up her sleeve. And she thought, I'm going to see where this is going. Mm -hmm. Got in the car with her, but she still had no shoes on. And Pam said, oh, and by the way, you can't bring a cell phone, cigarettes, keys. The producer doesn't like clutter. Well, she had just told her she was the producer. But mm -hmm. anyway, they went a couple of blocks and the lady got really nervous. Um, Pam couldn't produce any identification that she was with Dateline. And she goes, you know what? I need to go back. Um, I, I don't have my shoes on and I've got I, I, I need to go back. And so Pam's a little put out. She goes, well, no, I, I want you to take me back right now. And the smart thing she did was she had Pam pull into her driveway so that the security camera caught the license plate. You can clearly see Pam. And Pam went to get out of the car. I think she was going to kill that woman right then. Wow. And she looked up and went, you've got cameras. She goes, yes, I do. And I know how to call 911. And Pam backed out of the driveway and took off. That would have scared most people off. She went around the corner and saw a man, a maintenance man, mowing the lots at the trailer park, pulled up. So she cut him off as he came toward her. He cut the motor and said, yeah. And she gave him the same spiel about the Dateline producer. He goes, lady, I don't have time for that. I've got to mow all of these. I'm not interested. And he walked away. Wow. So she went home. His dedication to his work saved his life. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it did. 
So she waited six days. And I think she did that because of that security camera. I think she waited to see if any police showed up, if anything was going to happen. And when it didn't, she went back out and this time went to an apartment complex. And there was a young man, Louis Gumpenberger, sitting on the front porch, which he often did. Um, he'd been in a bad car wreck and he was mentally and physically incapacitated his mother said his mental acumen was that of a 12 year old oh dear rebecca i'm going to stop you right there we're going to we're going to take a quick time out we'll come back and pick it up uh on the other side rebecca f Pittman, best-selling author and uh we are talking about the uh pam hupp uh case the countdown to murder pam hupp death insured is the name of the book back with more of our conversation right after these It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. All right. So, uh, Rebecca, we were talking about uh, Pam Hupp um, after she murders her own mother for the insurance money so she can put that money back into her bank account at the suggestion of the investigating detectives in this case. Uh, but she realized she's still in the crosshairs. She has to take the, the heat off of herself and, and put the attention back on um, Russ, who was acquitted in the case of his, uh, of his wife, Betsy. Uh, so then she's looking for another victim in hopes of pinning that on Russ. She's foiled a couple of times. Then she waits six days, but undaunted, she finally thinks she's found her victim. And uh, this poor gentleman who's... Uh, was in a, in a car accident, was mentally and physically disabled, had the mental capacity of about a 12-year-old, sitting on the front step of his apartment. What happens next? She pulls up, and uh, he was about to start a new job, but he had a little boy. He was living with his mother, and he really wanted to contribute to the money. And Pam offers him $1,000, and he bought it. The thing that makes me angry is she knew the minute he walked toward the car, something was wrong with him. He limped. He couldn't drive. He couldn't even run. And when he talked, it was garbled. You could tell he had mental problems. And she still let him in the car. And she drove him home to her house. And on the way, had him practice what he was going to say for this, this 911 call. So the plan was she was going to tell people that she was alone backing out of her driveway to go run errands when a car sped up with a driver that looked a lot like Russ Faria. She described Russ Faria as the driver and that this young man jumped out, ran up to her car, jumped into the passenger side and held, held a knife to her neck and said, we're going to the bank to get Russ's money which I guess was supposed to be the 150000 that she kept that should have been Russ's in the beneficiary thing. And that she, in a karate move, knocks the knife out of this guy's hand and runs up the driveway in through the laundry room door with him right behind her. And she runs in her bedroom, gets out a gun, comes out in the hallway. and But the thing that, she's got the gun with her. 
Now he's supposed to go into action. We're back now to not her story, but what's really going on. They drove, she drives up with Lewis. They get out. He's practiced what he's supposed to say. She goes, when you get in, just kind of pound on the walls and do stuff. And then I'm going to pretend I'm making a 911 call and that you're an intruder. And then say you're lying. Well, she actually called 911 so that the dispatcher could be a witness right. that an intruder was in her house. So, Lewis, you can hear banging. I don't know if Pam did it or if he did it, but he got the line wrong. He goes, you want me to do to you what you did to your wife? Which was not what he was supposed to say. So Pam hurried up and went, no, no, I'm not going to get in the car with you. And it sounded so phony. And then she's going, get out, get out. And the the dispatcher's going, ma'am, what is your address? And she wouldn't give it to her. She's just yelling, help, help, get out, get out. Because she didn't want him to come too soon. Right. Ma'am, what is your address? And she's yelling, help, help. And the next thing you hear are five gunshots. It's chilling to listen to that 911 call. And the shot set off the smoke alarm. So now you've got a, the squealing of the smoke alarm going. You hear the dispatcher tell the police that, you know, that are, are going to be dispatched. There's a siren going off, too. There's an alarm going off. Finally, Pam gives them the address. And she goes, I'm, 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 going, I, I'm going outside. I'm, I'm getting my puppy and I'm going outside. When they, the first responder pulled up, which was Chief Nesky, uh, she was standing in the driveway with her one-year-old dog on a leash. And the minute he got out, she said, I shot him. I shot him. So what she did, and I think there's a big pause right, right after the alarm's going off that you don't hear anything. I think that's where she was putting the two items in Lewis's pocket. He's dead on the floor. One was a note supposedly written by Russ to Lewis. Go get, go, this, you know, it's a countdown. It's a list. Go to her house, get her to go to the bank, get the money, then kill her, put the knife in her neck to look like Betsy's and meet me. And she even put Russ's mother's address for where they were supposed to meet because Russ was staying with his mother at the time. It was written in this really crabby, scrawling handwriting. That note was in one pocket and the other was a Ziploc bag with nine brand new $100 bills. Brand new, sequential. Right. In other words, that was Russ's pay payment to this fellow yeah. for his part in the kidnapping uh, plot. But what she did, which was stupid, because she'd offered him a thousand dollars to come do the nine one one call. Greedy Pam only gave him nine of it. The other hundred dollar bill was in her dresser drawer, and I guess pretty much what sunk her. A lot of things sunk her, but the odds of her having a hundred dollar bill with the same numerical sequence as the hundred dollar bills in this guy's pocket were billions to one. And if she hadn't kept that hundred dollar bill but they also found out she bought the knife that he supposedly held to her throat the pad and the pencil at the nearby dollar tree and um she went to prison which is where she is now for his murder well then there's so, also I'm, I'm sure the victim's mother would have been able to testify that her son was completely incapable of doing any of those sorts of things in his condition 
I don't think the, I'm trying to remember if the mother took the stand. I don't think she did. She did give a victim impact statement, but it was, well, no, she didn't take the stand. Excuse me. Um, uh, Pam took the Alfred plea. So there was no trial. She went ahead and, and accepted the plea deal. An Alfred plea is where you admit the prosecution has enough evidence, but you're still not saying I did it. It's kind mm. of a weird little loophole. It is. So she took that and went to prison for life. And and uh, now she's awaiting trial for the the murder of Betsy, right? Correct. They did go ahead and indict her, and um, that's we still don't have a date for it yet. And I'm I'm not sure why it's taking so long. They are still they're still collecting. They reopened the investigation because it was so tainted from Russ's. I mean, those with the dirty detectives and everything, they had to start over. Right. And, and so they're, they're collecting all new DNA and, and doing all their own research. And um, the, the new PA is seeking the death penalty, I understand. Yes. So that's, but I, the Alfred plea took that death penalty. Well, that was for Lewis. They did, the Lewis's mother didn't want the death penalty. She said, if she stays in there forever, I'm good enough. They are going for the death penalty for Betsy Faria's case. Right. And uh, again, going after the uh, prosecutor and her team for their part in framing Russ to begin with. My understanding is the prosecutor, for some loophole that prosecutors have, will not be um, brought forward on these charges, but the detectives that she had perjured themselves on the stand will be. And the ones that helped Pam come up with an alibi and keep it on Russ. I mean, it's insane. They are actually tutoring her on what to do and what to say to keep this poor man because they didn't want it to look like they goofed up right, for the right. second trial. No, no, we got to make sure that, that at one point, Richard, they even said, look, they brought her in to the police station room and they said, we've been talking it over. Is there a chance maybe when you came out of Betsy's house that night that you happened to see Russ? Maybe while you're walking to your car, he might've been there. And at first Pam says, no. She comes back two months later as it's getting closer to the trial and says, you know what? I did, I did see Russ. He, there were two of them, two of them in a car and, and he ducked down and you can hear the detectives all excited. And he goes in, it was Russ. She goes, uh-huh, it was Russ. And you're going, what? <laughs> it was so, and yet, and the stupid thing is, Richard, they knew they were being recorded. It was in the police investigation room. All of it was on tape and video. What I just, that blew my mind. They knew they were being recorded. So I just... There's a, there's a rumor uh, that there may have been another victim of Pam Hop in, uh, well, she lived in Florida. What can you tell us about that? There, I would, it doesn't, it's not beyond, uh, you know, the pale of possibility. I believe that there's someone when she was out there in Naples before she moved to Missouri, started her insurance job and met Betsy. Uh, same M.O., uh, I'm not going to say who the person was. Somebody very close to Pam said, I wouldn't be surprised if she had something to do with the death of the elderly woman that lived three doors down from us because she came into a lot of money when this woman died. I'm getting close. 
I've, I'm still working on it. And um, I think it is a very viable possibility that there is another victim. Uh, I mentioned the um, the miniseries. Has that gone? Is that into production now? There's something about it. It now? actually aired. It did air. Okay. It aired in April and May. Uh, it's still streaming. You can um, find it. I'm trying to remember what station it was on. I want to say it was NBC Peacock. It's on Peacock. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, Renee Zelliger played Pam Hub. It was Renelle Zellweger, Zellweger that drove the project. She heard the story and wanted to do it. I think Dateline is co-producers, as is Bloomhouse. So it's six nights, I believe. Uh, I was talking earlier about the popularity of the true crime genre, and I, I, I believe I'm correct. I mean, that is, from what I understand, that's the number one selling genre. Um, what is it about true crime? Why, why such an allure for people, do you think? I think we're all of us have a little voyeurism in us. It's peeking behind the curtain. And I think it's also the audacity of the crimes that shock us. And we want to see, did they get, for me, it's what tripped them up, how they got caught. But I think all of us have that. It's titillating. I hate to say that, but it is. It's like can't drive past the car wreck without turning around and looking at it. Um, and so I think it's just our natural inclination to want to solve a mystery. And it's all the clues. Dateline does a great job of that because they take you on a journey. They don't let you know right up front who the person is. They throw out all the suspects. And then at the end, you have a resolution. What do you think, Richard? Why do you think it's popular? Uh, I, think, I think you've pretty much uh, nailed it. Yeah, it, it is the voyeur, the voyeurism aspect. It's part of human nature. It is kind of maybe I don't know, our a bit of our darker side. Yeah. Um. And um. It it touches us in so many ways. I mean, you know, we could all be, I think you know, we could all be victims at some point. We all have, you know, it's in the newspapers, uh, practically every week. You know, there's a there's another murder trial or another murder case happening somewhere. We may know somebody, you know, that this has happened to. So it really, I think it hits home uh, for, for many people. Whereas, you know, other genres, it's an escape, more of an escape. I don't think that this is so much of an escapism. It's, it's just, it's very real to us. Well, and you know, my, I started out writing about historic places that were in the top 10 most haunted. And it's not that far from true crime. They're both based on mystery, the unknown. Um, it's a segue into, so those are the two most popular genres right now are paranormal and true crime. I do believe true crime's a little bit more popular than paranormal, but right now I'm working on Countdown to Murder, Alec Murdoch, which is a huge murder case going on right now in South Carolina. And so it's, um, for me, if I can help catch the bad guy, it feels really good. I appreciate all the interviews and the time people give me. I get very close to the victim's families, maybe too much so. I'm very sentimental. But um, that case, look that one up. It's, it's, it just was on HBO, Dateline, Discovery Channel. It's huge. There's five murders around this 
powerful family. Wow. Uh, again, that's the, the Murdoch case in North Carolina? South, South, South Carolina. Carolina. It's, it's Alex. Alex Murdoch. But he goes by Alec. And Murdaugh is M-U-R-D-A-U-G-H. So I had Countdown to Murder Pam Hupp. This is Countdown to Murder Alec Murdoch. Rebecca, thank you so much for, for hanging out the last 45 minutes or so. It's, um, it's not something I do a lot of on the show, and it, uh, true crime. And I think I'm going to start doing more of it. It is, it's, uh, it is a fascinating um, look into the, I guess, the dark recesses of, <laughs> of the human psyche and the human condition. It is shocking. I think a lot of people are shocked that that the lack of conscience of our fellow human beings. But thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it, Richard. Rebecca F. Pittmanbooks.com. Rebecca F. Pittmanbooks.com is the website. And uh, Countdown to Murder, Pam Hop, Death Insured, wherever good books are sold, uh, and Amazon as well, I'm, I'm sure. Thanks yep. again, Rebecca. Thank you, Richard. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 